Well, good morning, everybody. It's really beautiful to be back up here in lovely Atherton, and I'm so glad that this year is not as cold as it was last year. So thank you for the warm welcome that uh, we've received. We appreciate that. Uh, for those of you uh, that I haven't had the pleasure of meeting, my name is Colin Luturi. My wife Sharon is up the back and uh, we work with uh, the Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry. Uh, for 24 years I was the pastor of Woodvale Baptist Church in Perth and then uh, when I finished in that role I was invited to come into this role and to come back here to Queensland. Uh, I'm Bundaberg born, so uh, I'm a Queenslander so it's good to be back home. We've been here for five years now and uh, this is our, um, our fourth time up here to Atherton and our second time with your church. So it's really uh, good to be able to share with you. Uh, a couple of things to say about what I'll be doing. Today I'll be sharing a message in the morning, uh, in just a moment, uh, called, uh, Who Do You Say That I Am? And that's obviously talking about Jesus. Uh, tonight uh, we'll be entering into some more studies on the end times and tonight we'll be talking about the tribulation, the first part of the tribulation as revealed in the scripture. Then on Wednesday night, uh, for those who can make it, we'll gather again and I'll talk about the midpoint and the second half of the tribulation because there's just so much detail that's given in God's word. We can't do it all in one message. Also on Wednesday night when I finished uh, that first message, or the, sorry, the second message on the tribulation, we're going to go on then, we'll have uh, a cup of tea and then we'll go on and we'll look at the second coming of Christ. Now you don't want to miss that and, and unless you know everything uh, about it and you don't need to, to uh, remind yourself then that's fine but you don't want to miss that because the second coming of Christ is going to be something absolutely amazing. Next Sunday morning I'll be at Yungabara in the morning but then in the evening, next Sunday I'll be back here again and we'll look at the Millennial Kingdom the thousand year reign of Christ that stands before the world and uh, you'll be amazed at uh, what that kingdom is going to be like. So that's what we're doing over our next number of messages. Uh, so just for today, uh, I'll share with you in a moment and then again tonight. A couple of things to uh, tell you about. Uh, John, thank you. Oh, it is up. Sorry, it's just not up there. Uh, this is... Uh, what our ministry does, you can just have a look through that. Uh, we, we particularly focus on biblical truth about Israel and the Messiah and uh, we work with Jewish people. We have Jewish people come and stay in our home. Uh, we take tours to Israel and there's somebody right here in this room who's coming on one of those tours with us a little bit later and we're looking forward to that, Pastor John and uh, Cheryl as well. They're going to come a little bit later in the year and uh, share that uh, 16 days with us in Israel. Uh, we're committed to teaching our scripture reveals God's love for Jewish people. Some people say God is finished with the Jews. Uh, the Jews rejected Jesus, so God has rejected the Jews. Uh, that's just not true. If you look at your Bible and you simply read it as it's written, you will find God is not finished with the Jews. Yes, they are in disobedience at this point in time. Yes, they're away from the Lord as a full group of people. But during the, the time of the tribulation in particular, God is going to call those people back to himself and as we go into the millennial kingdom, there will be a special role for the Jewish people. So we should never think that God is finished with them. And we also talk about the biblical significance of the land of Israel. Next slide. Oh, sorry, it's me that's doing it. <laughs> sorry about that. 
So the, the way we go about uh, sharing our message is what I'm doing this morning, teaching uh, in the church. We've got books. I bought just a few books, uh, one little box of books up in the corner. My wife will be there after the service. We, we have a monthly magazine called Israel My Glory and I know some of you uh, got this last year. Uh, it's a wonderful little magazine. My wife was just talking to me about how wonderful the photos are this year and uh, it comes out every second month and for the first year it's absolutely free if you've never received it before but you do have to sign up for it so we know where to send it to you. So there's a sign-up form that will be up at the table as well and down the bottom of the sign-up form here in red if you want to receive our newsletter and know what we're doing and pray for us just put a little tick in the box there and we'll add you to the, the list uh, of people uh, who are praying and uh, receiving our information. Let me pray now and we're going to go into God's precious word. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. There is no other name given amongst men by which we must be saved. There is no higher name, for this is the name that is exalted. And Lord Jesus, we know that your scripture teaches You are right now seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven and you're interceding for us. We thank you for that because we need your blessing, your grace. We need your intercession. We need uh, your grace to be upon us day by day. Lord, would you do a wonderful work by your Spirit this morning? Would you speak to each of our hearts? Would you take your word and bring it alive before us, Lord? Would you do what we cannot do and impress it into our hearts in such a way that we will want to live in a a different way when we leave and we pray, Heavenly Father, that you'll be glorified as a result. So thank you, Lord, for this opportunity. Thank you for all these dear people gathered together. May your grace be upon each one of us and may your Holy Spirit be our teacher. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, if you have your scripture with you, you might like to open with me. I'm going to read a few verses. I'm reading from Luke chapter 9. I'm just going to read a few verses to set the scene for what I'm going to share with you. So, this is Luke chapter 9 and I'm reading from verse 12. When the day began to wear away, the twelve came and said to him, Send the multitude away that they may go into the surrounding towns and country and lodge and get provisions, for we are in a deserted place here. But he said to them, you give them something to eat. And they said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish unless we go and buy food for all these people. For there are about 5,000 men. And he said to his disciples, make them sit down in groups of 50. And they did so and made them sit down. Then he took the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven he blessed and broke them. He gave them to the disciples and set them before the multitude. So they all ate and were filled. And twelve baskets of the leftover fragments were taken up by them. And it happened as he was alone praying that his disciples joined him and he asked them saying, Who do the crowd say that I am? So they answered and said, John the Baptist, or some say Elijah, and others say one of the old prophets has risen again. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered and said, 
the Christ of God. And he strictly warned and commanded them to tell no one, to tell this to no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. And then he said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what advantage is it to a man if he gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory and in his Father's and of the holy angels. And we know that God will add a blessing to the reading of his word. So we come to the message itself. And as we come to the message, I want to start with a, a story of something that happened in uh, 2020. In early, oh, there we go again. In early 2020, uh, there was a an article that came up on the ABC News feed, and the story read like this: Prayers answered as New South Wales rainfall extinguishes 74-day. Carawan bushfire. Now, a man by the name of Murray Campbell uh, has got a, a little website and uh, in murraycampbell.net he wrote, thousands of comments poured down over Twitter and Facebook expressing anger at the ABC for daring to use the word prayer. Prayers have no place in journalism, somebody wrote. ABC News, prayer has nothing to do with it. Please delete this offensive tweet, somebody else wrote. Prayers answered, question mark, question mark, question mark. Seriously, ABC News, get this religious propaganda out of your lexicon. And then another, the rain came because of science, nothing more, nothing less, not because somebody asked nicely for it. And Campbell continues with this comment. I suspect the choice of wording has nothing to do with actual belief in God. But in Australia today, this cannot be tolerated. References to God cannot be permitted unless it's in the pursuit of mocking religion. Religion, and specifically Christianity, is to be ridiculed by the media in the most celebratory and obnoxious ways, but no one is to dilute the purity of worship to secularism. Have you noticed that happening? Have you noticed that uh, some people in our society have become uh, so, so angry, so militant, against any reference to God whatsoever. I have a book here, as one of the books that we sell by a man by the name of Erwin Lutzer. And uh, Erwin Lutzer is an emeritus pastor from Moody Memorial Church where he was a pastor for 36 years. And on, on the back of the book it says this, Every day you watch America turn further from Christian values and the core principles of liberty. It's frustrating to feel you can't assert biblical truth without facing condemnation and frightening to witness outrage and victimhood replace respect and reason. Amidst this dissent, how can you not only stay rooted in your faith but continue to publicly testify for Jesus? So it's not just Australia. This is right across the Western world. We have this movement that's been happening where 
people have gone further and further and further away from God's word, further and further away from what we might regard as Christian moral values and we have the world in a not very happy place. And we wonder why. We wonder why there are so many young people who are ending up in jail. So many young people who are out there destroying things, stealing cars, getting on drugs. We wonder why. And we have an answer to why. The answer to why is they, they have no hope. They don't see a future. They don't see something that's beyond what they're faced with. And if what they're faced with is poverty or bad parenting from their parents or their mates are having fun by going out there and, and uh, stealing things and this is what they're going to get out of life if they can, can get out and find some enjoyment, that's what's taking their attention. We're in a new era. It's an era in which God has been pushed to the side and people say, I don't believe that stuff. Well, you know, people might say that, but as you'll hear over the course of the messages that I'm going to share with you over these next five messages that I'll share with you, God is very much aware of exactly what is happening on the earth and he has already prepared for what is happening and there is a time of reckoning that is coming. But let's come back to what's happening here because the Apostle Paul reminds us that in situations like what we're facing, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Now, what's that about? Well, that's all about the fact that we are living in a spiritual world. Physical, yeah, absolutely. We're sitting here physically today. I'm physical, we're real. But we're in a spiritual world and there are things happening around us spiritually that unless you've got the eyes to see it, you're going to miss it. You'll just think, oh, somebody was crazy when they killed all of those people. Hitler was, was just a, a, a maniac when he went out and murdered six million Jew, Jewish people. Uh, Putin is just a, a greedy man. You have a look at what is behind these things and you will find there's evil in this world and there's good in this world. And God's goodness and what God brings to us and what God wants for all of his creation has been pushed to the side, it's been hidden, it's been torn down, it's been trodden on. But I tell you what, it hasn't died because God is certainly alive and that's part of what I want to share with you here. We wrestle not against that spiritual force that's going on around us but we face a spiritual battle every day and it's got a human face often. It's often people who speak against us. Now Jesus knew that this challenge would face his disciples 2,000 years ago and he tested their commitment by asking that powerful question, who do you say that I am? Now if Jesus was here today and he looked you right in the eye and he asked that question, I wonder what you would answer. I wonder what you would say to him. Would you say, oh, you're a nobody. I, I, I don't believe in you. You've done nothing. You've got nothing in my life. Or would you say, Lord Jesus, I know there was a time when I didn't know who you were and I thought life was all about me and I thought life was all about what I can get and what I can do 
until I realised that life is short, life comes to an end, that there's more to this life than just what we see. And when we find that relationship with Jesus Christ, we find something that is not just time, for time, it's for eternity. Over the course of Jesus' ministry, there were many people who asked about Jesus. Jesus told a paralysed man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees said, who is this man who blasphemes, who can forgive sins but God alone? So who is this guy? Or why is he saying he can forgive this man's sins? In another situation when a, a sinful woman with the alabaster jar wept at Jesus' feet and then wiped his feet with her hair, Jesus said to her, your sins have been forgiven. And Luke adds, those who were reclining at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this man who even forgives sins? And then when Jesus calmed the storm on the Sea of Galilee, his disciples were fearful. They were amazed at what was going on and they said to each other, who is this then that he commands even the waves and the winds and they obey him? King Herod asked, I myself had John beheaded, but who is this man about whom I hear such things? So everybody's asking the same question. Who is this man? Now, I read to you from Luke and this tells us that Jesus miraculously fed in excess of 5,000 people using just five barley loaves and two small fish. Now, you can be sure many in the crowd when they received the food asked that same question. Who is he that he could feed all of us? Of course, observing all that Jesus taught and all that he did pointed him to him being Israel's Messiah though nobody at this stage was openly saying it. You might recall when I read verse 17 it ended with this statement. They all ate and were satisfied and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The very next verse is this. Once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? Now, if you just had a simple reading of the scripture and perhaps even when you were pulling it through with me in the Bible this morning, you look at this and you say, well, he was, he was feeding people and then suddenly he was praying. He just went from one thing to the other. But that's not right. That's actually not what happened. From the other Gospel accounts we learn that after he fed the 5,000 he and his disciples left for Bethsaida uh, up at the top of the Sea of Galilee. Then they went across the the lake to a place called Magadan and uh, from there they went north up to another place called Caesarea Philippi. So some time had passed. It might have been several days. It might have been several weeks from the time that Jesus fed the 5,000 to this next thing that is happening where he asks the question. So why is this significant? Well, because Jesus was about to do something very, very powerful in the lives of his disciples and if we listen to this and we take it on board, it can be in our lives today as well. As verse 18 comes into play, we find Jesus and his disciples now in the town of Caesarea Philippi. And uh, Caesarea Philippi is an amazing place. 
Uh, when John and I go there a bit later in the year, we're going to see a whole lot of ruins around there, but we're also going to see some very interesting things in that area. Have a look at this aerial shot. This is one of the things we'll be looking at, this cave in here, this rock face, and then you can see some of the ruins in front of it. So this is a, a flyover just showing us that from the air and now this is along that rock face. You see all the little niches that have been uh, carved in and here the, the ruins of temples. Now you may not be into history but it's very important that you understand that there was a time when this was a really bustling area and uh, an artist has put together the idea and you can see the cliff face at the back you can see it's called the Grotto of Pan, that, that cave, and uh, you can see a couple of temples in front of it and then you see the rest of the city as it would have been at that time. Many commentators believe that uh, there were several references in this exact area. Earlier on, but in this exact area, uh, references in the Old Testament uh, under the names of Baal Gad, and Baal Chemon. So, what, why does that matter? Well, there are at least 14, at least 14 Baal Syrian temples in this area long before the city. So, just tuck that one away in the back of, of your mind. Baal worship right in this area before this city existed. Now, in ancient days, water used to flow out of this large cave. It's referred to as the, the Grotto of Pan. Uh, so there it is up at the top and the water used to flow out of that. So it was a river that came straight out of a cave. Uh, there was an earthquake uh, in the beginning of the 20th century and following that earthquake the water stopped flowing through there. It now flows out, it, it comes out from under the mountain itself. So under that big uh, area of, uh, of rock that we saw, this flows out from underneath it. And 50 metres away you see this, this uh, little area here. These are the springs at Caesarea Philippi. Now, the grotto that uh, is up there in the corner is of significance to us, particularly to those uh, who were Greek because uh, this was the centre of Hellenistic pagan worship from about the 3rd century BC. So, we've had the Baals and now we've got the, the uh, Hellenistic or, if you like, the Greek gods come in. And the Greeks believed that this cave was the birthplace of the Greek god Pan. Now, we all heard of the, the one playing the Pan flutes. He's the god of nature, the god of fields, forests, mountains, flocks and shepherds. He's often depicted as half man, half goat and the site was named Panias because he played a Pan. It's now called Banyas because Arab, Arabic people can't say P, so they've changed the name to B. Uh, it's easier for Arabs to say it. But in this place, in this very place, there was great wickedness that took place. There were orgies, there was bestiality, there was child sacrifice, children were thrown into that what was a, a deep cave in those days and they were thrown in there as alive as an offering to Pan. Adjacent to uh, this escarpment, uh, you've got these little niches that have been carved in and we know that this is, they had had little statues, uh, more statues of, of Pan but also those other ones that attended him. 
According to Jewish historian Josephus, in 2 BC, the city was built by King Herod Philip. Now, notice the word Philip. That's where we get Philip Pi from. And he named it Caesarea in honour of Augustus, who was the, uh, the Caesar or the king at that time. And to differentiate it from Caesarea Maritime, which is another city on the coast, this is called Caesarea Philippi in land. Now, Roman temples were, were built there to honour the emperor. So, here's another artist's impression of how the temple area may have looked. So, let me just think, what have we got here? We've got the Syrian Baals, uh, we've got the Greek gods, now we've got the Roman gods who have moved in. Exactly the same area, right here in this place. In a website article called Caesarea Philippi in Israel, David Padfield comments, he says, with Caesarea Philippi as a backdrop, we have a dramatic picture of Jesus of Nazareth, a penniless Galilean carpenter surrounded by 12 ordinary men. The Jewish leaders were already plotting and planning on destroying him as a dangerous heretic. In an area littered with the temples of the Syrian gods, a place where the Greek gods looked down, a place where the most important river in Judaism sprang to life, and that river that I showed you before, that's the start of the Jordan River, one of the four great tributaries of the Jordan. Uh, a place where white marble splendour of the home of Caesar worship dominated the landscape. Here, of all places, Jesus stands and asks his men who they believe him to be. Now, just let that sink in for a minute. This place, he took them. They walked 40 kilometres just to get to this place. Jesus could not have taken his disciples to a more evil place in all of Israel. As a matter of fact, uh, the, the, uh, the rabbis, they would avoid this place. They wouldn't take their disciples anywhere near this place. Now, it's important to note as we're going through this that according to several historians, those who worship Pan in this place believe that that cave, which is now at the back of that temple, to be an entrance to Hades or the place of the dead, if you like. And they believed because it, it was water and it went down underground, this was a place where the Greek gods could either go into the underworld or come out from the underworld and so this place was called the gates of Hades because it was a gate to get into Hades. Now, we need to bear that in mind when we come to Matthew's Gospel recording Jesus' interaction with his disciples. This is what we read in Matthew 16. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Well, we know all that already. He said to them then, but who do you say? Who do you say that I am? So, first question, what's the opinions of men? What are they saying about me? Now, what do you think? What do you believe? Who do you say that I am? Now, that is a very significant question because Jesus knew they needed to know then, just like we need to know today, 
the answer to that question because the answer to that question will determine both our eternal destiny and our commitment to Jesus as well. I think Warren Wiersbe put it well in his little comment. He says, it's impossible to be wrong about Jesus and to be right with God. So Jesus asked this of all the disciples and Peter, bold Peter, Peter who always had something that uh, he, would, he would say, he spoke up on their behalf and he said to Jesus, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And probably after a brief pause and I would suggest perhaps looking him right in the eye, Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, or Simon son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, Petros is the word, means a small stone. And on this rock, Petra, means a huge stone, I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. So Jesus is talking right there in the environment of the gates of Hades and he's using that as an example. He says, I say that you are Peter, you're a little rock and on this big rock I will build my church. Some say this big rock, and this is what most commentators would say, uh, represents the path that Peter had just said, you are the Christ and the big rock is that, is that firm faith in Christ. It's a, it's a solid rock on which to stand. Ray Vandalin years ago I did a, a series on this and he says uh, it's because of all the, the rock in the area. On this rock, here, right, right here, I'm starting to build my church. Whatever we understand, the thing that we do need to realise is the church is built on Jesus Christ and Jesus says, the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. So, this is a promise. None of the false gods of this world whether they be Baals, whether they be Greek gods, whether they be Roman gods, whether they be any of the gods that we have in our world today. Nothing will prevail against the church. And we need to know that today. Sometimes people say, well, God is dead. Have you ever see that, that uh, statement came out and then somebody made a, a video about it showing that God actually wasn't dead. But God is dead, some of the people say. And I'm talking about atheists here. We don't have to worry about God. God's got no, nothing to do with us. Well, I'm telling you, God is certainly not dead. God will never be dead because God is spirit, but God has got a plan. And his plan involves faith in Jesus Christ alone as the Saviour, the one who can give us relationship with the God who created us. So we live in a society today where there's temples, there's mosques, there's a whole range of different gods and pagan beliefs out there and if we just have a look at the, the census uh, that only this, only this information came out in December of 2022 but it was from the 21 census and I want you to just have a look at, at uh, what it says about the number of people who marked the census as being Christians. Here it is, 43.9% of Australians who answered the question because it wasn't a compulsory question. 
So when you add all those figures up, no, it doesn't add to 100%. But of those who answered, only 439 said, yes, I'm Christian. Go back 50 years ago, 86.2% of people said that they were Christian. And when you come over to these other statistics here, 10% say they are from other religions, Buddhist, Muslim, whatever it might be. And 38.9% of people said, no, I don't believe in any God. That's a picture of the world that we're in today. Against the background now of so many gods and religions calling for our attention or even the pushback of atheism and there is a pushback because sin says I want to do what I want to do. If I want to be in a relationship with anybody I want to, male, female, one partner this week, somebody else, it doesn't matter because there's no God. So you Christians don't try and tell me how to live. And we reply to them, we're not trying to tell you how to live. It's God's word that tells us how to live. There's the difference and this is the world that we're living in. So we better know the answer to that question for ourselves. Who do we say that Jesus is? He knew his disciples had reached a point of no return. He took them to a place of decision and he wasn't looking for their opinions. He was looking for their conviction. And Peter, uh, through his answer, demonstrated that the message was getting through. Right at that point, Jesus said, well, now I've got some disturbing news to tell you because this, for the first time, is where he revealed the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law and he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. This was the first time in Luke's Gospel that Jesus really spelt it out. And while there's been reference to Jesus as the Lamb of God as we read through Luke, uh, reference to the destruction of his body, in three days he'd raised it up. This is the first time that he's saying it clearly. And where is he saying it? Surrounded by all the gods of the world. He's saying it right there in the midst of all that. And virtually what he's saying to them, as he would say to us today, you have to make a choice. So what are you choosing? Are you choosing the gods of the world? Are you choosing no god at all? Or are you choosing the true and living God? Because whatever choice you make is not only going to affect you for the rest of your life here on earth, but it's going to affect you for all of eternity. And that's the truth of God's word. The choice we make here. There's no second chance. There's no chance later on that we can make a a change to what we believe. The second thing he told them, and this is the one that frightens some people, it'll cost them everything. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Deny yourself simply means to renounce everything being about me, giving up self-centred living. It's making God's will and God's word and God's desire the centre of the way we live. And taking up our cross daily means we're going to obey the Lord no matter what comes from the gates of Hades, no matter what comes against us, no matter who opposes us, we're going to stand up for the Lord Jesus because he makes it very clear in verse 24, whoever desires to save his life, in other words, I want to be the boss. I want to be the boss. 
I want to save my life. I, I don't want to commit my life to Jesus or to God or to anybody else. I want to save my life. And Jesus said, whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, in other words, you give up your life saying, Lord, I still live as a human being, but I want you to be the Lord of my life. That person will save it and save it for all eternity. Jesus used the example of uh, greed to make the point he was making. He says, what does it profit uh, to a man if he gains the whole world but is himself destroyed or lost? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory and in his Father's and of the holy angels. If we're ashamed of Christ here in this world, if we will not stand up for what the Lord calls us to do, then the Lord says, well, I'm going to be ashamed of you when that time comes, when you face judgment. So, for all of us, are we ready to follow Jesus no matter what opposition may come? In many ways, we have to answer that same question. Who do you say Jesus is? John, he was there, this is the Apostle John, he was there with Jesus at Caesarea Philippi and Later on, he opened his gospel by saying this, the word was God and the word became flesh. In other words, God became flesh. So, he clearly believed that Jesus is both God and man. Thomas, after Thomas had said, I won't believe until I can, I can touch the, the, the nail prints in his hands and put my hand into his side. And when he got to do that, he looked at Jesus and he bowed before him and he said, my Lord and my God. The Apostle Paul describes him as our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. And that was echoed by the Apostle Paul, as you see there on the screen. Even God the Father gives witness of Jesus' full identity. Hebrews 1 and verse 8 tells us, but to the Son, he, that's the Father, says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever, a scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. So even God talks about his son as being God. Folks, Jesus is the dividing line of all history. In our day, faith in him is increasingly being challenged, it's being ridiculed, it's being rejected by those who don't know him. But you know, the gospel is spreading in many areas. Uh, as people get to hear this, as the Holy Spirit brings the message to them. It's not that the whole world is rejecting Jesus. It's the world that uh, has things at their fingertips. Uh, I've got ways of getting rich. I've got, I can have whatever I want. I can go wherever I want and a world that is rich has no need of a God who provides. But Jesus is the dividing person of, of history. So as we conclude, so who do you really say? Jesus is. Is he really the Saviour? You know, if you don't know that Jesus is the Saviour, I would love to talk to you after this service. I remember the time when I didn't know Jesus as my Saviour. I remember what it was like uh, to be a religious person, but I had no idea how Jesus fit it in. But when I came to know Jesus Christ as my own and personal Saviour, my life changed. It changed forever. Not just forever, but for all eternity, my life changed. I was a high school teacher in those days 
But after I came to the Lord, God did something in my heart. He called me into ministry and all I've wanted to do for the rest of my life is share his precious word and share the testimony of Jesus. Jesus is the Saviour. Jesus came to this earth to save us from our sin. What is sin? Anything that rebels against God, anything that's contrary to God's word, Jesus came to save us from that. How did he do it? He did it by taking our place. Because no matter how much pride we might have in ourselves, how much good we think we might do, how many people we help, what a nice person I am, none of that makes us right with God. Because the problem is sin and sin dwells within us. It's within every human being. We cannot save ourselves. So God sent his son on a cross to die in our place so that when we at the foot of the cross look up and we see him hanging there, we can say, I couldn't do it. Thank you for that great sacrifice. Thank you for what you gave up. Thank you for what you accomplished because I know you did that for me. And when we place our faith in him, all that he accomplished, his righteousness, we sang about it just before, all of his righteousness now comes upon us and when God looks upon us, he sees us as cleansed, as washed. Isn't that beautiful? That's the word of God. So is he really the saviour? Then trust in him. Is he really the Lord of your life? Then obey his word. Sometimes life gets in the way and sometimes we've just got to say, you know what, I'm not, I'm not walking the right way, I'm not, I'm not doing the right thing, I'm not watching the right things on TV, I'm not saying the right things to people, I'm not behaving in the right way, I'm not loving others. What do people at work think of you? What do your neighbours think of you? If he's really the Lord, let's obey his word and do what he tells us. And is he really worthy? Then what he tells us to do is to deny ourselves. Let him be on the throne and uh, let him take that control of our lives and we follow him in truth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Almighty God, thank you for your precious word and thank you for your precious Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, who did come who performed miracles to show that he wasn't just an ordinary man, who spoke words of wisdom that are so beyond anything that we can understand. No philosopher can have words like Jesus had. And then he died on that cross for us. And even more, when he was resurrected from the dead on Easter Sunday, he was then... uh, he then ascended up into heaven and he, that's where he is with you right now, Lord, at your right hand, still interceding for us. We thank you, Lord God, that all of our salvation, every single part of it, is wrapped up in the person of Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you. Amen. Tonight we're going to move on to talking about the tribulation. I really encourage you to come along. It won't be pleasant. This is not pleasant stuff that we're going to be looking at because this world is heading towards a cliff. I don't know whether you can see it, but it's heading towards a cliff. 
There are things happening in our world today that are taking us closer and closer. Now, I'm not trying to set a date. I'm not trying to say it'll be next year or anything like that. But what I'm saying is a time is coming and Jesus has warned us ahead of time and he's told us what to look for. And we'll share some of that tonight. God bless you.